David, thank you so much for joining me. This is Giving Voice to Recovery. My name's Elizabeth Edwards. I'm a singer-songwriter. I'm also a person in long-term recovery, and I am the host of Giving Voice to Recovery. And I'm joined by David Mallow, a recovery coach, and I can't wait to find out more about what David does, why he does it, how he does it, and any other really interesting, juicy pieces of information we need to know about David. So, David, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. I really appreciate it. It's an honor and a pleasure to get to uh, share with you and also to get to know you a little bit better. We had a great phone conversation, and, and um, so I was really looking forward to this. I'm so glad, um, you know, recovery coaching is something that is re- really um, gotten my attention lately. And I'm a big fan of coaching in general. We get coaches, like I'm a musician and a writer and an artist. And throughout my whole life, I've had different coaches for different things. I've had, you know, musical coaches, uh, musical instrumentation coaches, performance coaches. I've had um, in my own recovery, I've had uh, therapists and sponsors and people who have been in uh, actually literally coaching uh, me and my business and different things like that. I currently have a business coach. Um, I really am a strong believer in coaching and it's unique. Coaching is a little bit different than mentorship and sponsorship. So my first question for you, David, is I like to celebrate people who use their voice in recovery. And the reason I like to shine the light on that is that the world sees a lot of addiction, but they don't actually know that there's a whole bunch of recovery right in front of them. But because we blend into the crowd, we don't really stand out anymore so that people don't know what they're looking at. And so that's why I do this. So I really wanted to hear from you about what really brought you to coaching. What made you realize that you were a person that could share your ideas, your voice with somebody and could help that person move from an addictive behavior pattern into a life of recovery? What helped, what brought you to that point? Well, before I get into the what, I'm going to answer the whom, Mm -hmm. because it was actually a spiritual care counselor in a therapeutic aftercare group that I was going to, who said to me one day, he said, you know what, you'd really be good at this. Mm -hmm. So it was suggested by someone else, be good at what? I didn't also know what recovery coaching was either. Mm-hmm. And um, this gentleman said to me, you know, we, I appreciate you being in the therapeutic um, aftercare group with us, but I don't really need a junior counselor. Mm-hmm. I was brought there, something greater than me, um, a, a, who I call God, brought me to this group. Um, I had nine years of recovery at the time. I just celebrated 16 years on St. Patrick's Day. Oh, congratulations. Um, so this past week, thank you, sweet 16. But when I went back to the group, it was I, as if I had missed that participating with other men in a group setting like that. And so I went back and one day he asked me to stay back after group and said, this is what I'd like you to, to look at. And so what I did was I looked around and saw what other recovery coaches were doing. And it struck me right away that it seemed to be very similar to the um personal trainer I meet at the gym a few times a week. And I get a much better workout when I meet with my trainer than if 
plus the accountability than I would if I went on my own. So I know I have to meet this person. I'm going to put in a really good hour while I'm there. And then in between um, workouts, I'm also going to do the best that I can to, um, to optimize what I'm doing and, and paying for. And so what I found out was it was an, an accountability coach, or as some of my younger clients refer to an episode of South Park, they call it the accountability buddy. And, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and a lot of the volunteer work that I had done in treatment centers, um, the peer recovery support coaching that I did at Riverside County Mental Health. And I also had some sober living home experience in owning and operating them. And so what I did was I put all that together along with this knowledge that I had been getting by going to uh, volunteer treatment centers like the Betty Ford Center, where there would be a professional, a doctor who is uh, lecturing on monitoring and how when people were monitored, mostly licensed professionals, how well they did, that the outcomes were very high. Um, as a matter of fact, the, the numbers, which I cannot either, I can't really confirm other than the hard data that I have, is that roughly 20% or so um, after a year post-treatment are still in recovery. So the relapse rate, as you can see, is very high. However, with monitoring, it's the opposite. And my numbers show that, but you know, the, the, the people that work on that and that test generally after a year are at about an 80% success rate. So the monitoring works really well. Mentoring, which is also a part of what I do, is important because you can check in and um, my, uh, my list includes, you know, what did you do today for fun? And did you look for work or did you make it to your 12-step uh, meeting? Um, do you have a sponsor yet? Because what I found, Elizabeth, was a lot of the people that had um, been directed to or families guided them into treatment would not make the aftercare commitment. Because what happens is this disease of addiction tells you that you don't have a disease and that, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I got 42 days today. I don't know if I really need to do all the things that they're suggesting when I left treatment and gave me that aftercare plan. And funny that you say that for my first yeah. 10 years, I was a person, I, I, I would walk around thinking, you know, maybe I just had a bad decade. You know, it's like that, <laughs> that voice stays with you for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, you know, think about how it reinforces which every day that you don't pick up a drink and or other mind altering substance that that reinforces that thinking. Mm -hmm. And so when an event takes place, sometimes it's something that um, could have something very uh, dramatic attached to it. Uh, could be just that you're at a party. You know, you don't have a defense that you've built up. So the creating those healthy habits that we find really helps to remove that obsession for, for wanting to drink and or use. And to be implanting yeah. that healthy voice of recovery there as a secondary support. You know, the more healthy uh, voices in your head that you can put there, the better, right? And so I, I can imagine you as a, a supportive voice in one of your clients 
heads because you're going to tell them, oh yeah, you're going to think these things, right? I mean, you're, are you? Oh, absolutely. That's that's Mm -hmm. a big part of my job. And, and it's interesting that you brought that up because when a person is ready and they're taking direction, then I am that supportive and loving voice. If they're not ready, I'm not always looked at that way. And so I have to, uh, I have to really be able to be flexible and be patient and read my clients really well. Cause sometimes I need to take a step back. Can't make anyone do anything. I just want to try to, to sell hope and want them to see how wonderful it is to be in recovery as opposed to what it was like, but the mind can be tricky. So I have to watch for those signals. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. So I didn't mean to take you off your course. You were, you were well, rolling there, but I, I, I just, am, I'm relating very much to what you're talking about. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. I, I love that you're jumping in and you have so much to add, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and so I was doing a lot of different things, trying to find what it was that I wanted to do. I'm 60 now. When I started doing this, I was 53 and I, Uh, an industry that I worked in for many, many years, I'm still good at. And I have a lot of friends that that, um, we've created and developed relationships over the years that I could pick up the phone and work with very easily. But it was, I was missing something, Mm. you know, the the passion that I had and felt and still do for recovery was something that I couldn't do in the building materials industry. But I (laughs) I found myself in the back room with these young adults, uh, many who worked either outside sales or on a counter, and I'd be sitting there and coaching them. <laughs> and I would be talking to them about, you know, this these products aren't really who you are. It's This is what you do, and you're a father and a, you know, so I would catch myself doing that, and I realized that there was just some something else that I really would rather be doing. What's the difference between a sponsor a recovery coach and a recovery uh, and a recover and a mentor. Well, that's, that's a great question. Um, and I think most people would, would wonder that. And I've been asked that many times. A sponsor is someone in a 12 step recovery program that, and this, you're going to get varying answers from different people. I believe that that person is to take you through those 12 steps to work with you on those steps and to help you to avoid some of the landmines and pitfalls that you can you can um, encounter in being in recovery, um, but that's that's their main function, I believe. Um, yeah, it's, some, not, it's non-paid. There's no. It's a. It is a volunteer, complete, one hundred percent volunteer. Does it for anyone who's watching who doesn't know that? I'm just throwing. Yeah. This, throwing yeah, this. No, I'm glad you did because that's the twelfth step. It's the twelfth suggestion. Yeah is to carry that message, to give away what you've got. And somehow, magically, and it is magic, it works. It, it works. It worked for me. Mm-hmm. So in recovery coaching, I'm asking people a series of questions. I have them send me a journal at night that includes uh, the type of questions that would let them know if they're in balance for that day. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, did you take a nice long walk? Did you eat well? Um even things, did you call your mom? It just depends on what uh, the person's situation is like to help them get in balance. And I've sprinkled some 10th step questions in there. And for those who don't know, it's a, a, taking a personal inventory uh, 
on a daily basis or at night before you go to bed to see where you're at. You know, did I have a good day? Do I owe somebody an apology? What could I have done better? Those kind of questions. And that's really to set that person up to create another healthy habit, not for me to check on them. It's for, for them to start to, and so the journal, they check in with me daily and we, you know, we do the drug testing, but anyway, um, a sponsor. Yeah. I love how you bring your piece of that. It sounds like, which I, I, I totally get the value of this is where you will bring the behavioral part because substance use disorder is a behavioral health illness. It is a disorder thinking problem that shows up in people's behavior and the steps are working on a more of a spiritual relationship level. Whereas you're bringing this into daily behavior, journaling, checking in a drug test, there's supportive behavior that that's where the coaching piece, it sounds like really is supporting the process. Am I right about that? Correct. Correct. Okay, that's right. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I As I mentioned that. earlier, and it's worth mentioning again, too many people go to treatment and have this belief um, and their support staff, which is their identified loved ones, they have this belief that they're going to go and they're going to come out a new person, you know, that they're going to go in and spend their month two or three if they're fortunate enough to get that, that much treatment. And then, and come out and, and be fixed for lack of a better term. You know, that's only the beginning, the, the rubber meets the road again with that aftercare plan. And there's too many people who don't make it across the bridge from treatment into recovery. And that was the main reason that I took the suggestion from my spiritual care counselor and said, I can see why this could be helpful. Yeah, it's that gap. It's that gap of that early recovery where so many people are lost in that gap. And I think a lot of people, you're right about that. They, they're the misconception that treatment is a cure-all when in reality, and, and it's not, that's not necessarily coming from the treatment centers. That's coming from the unrealistic expectations of people who are desperate to find help for themselves and their loved ones looking for that fix because ad active addiction is such a difficult problem to live with that by the time you get to a treatment center, if you're one of the lucky people who do to get that kind right. of support, you think, oh, I'm here, I've, I've survived. But in reality, that's the start of a new road. And just like any new road, there's a process involved in learning how to walk that path. Very different from where you've been. Very different from where you've been. Very well put, Elizabeth. Very well put. And um, we see it all the time. Uh, people who are active in recovery, including myself, we see it in the rooms. There's there's a lot of, uh, there's a high relapse rate. Mm -hmm. And when somebody leaves treatment and they don't even get into the um, aftercare plan, this is where the difficulty comes in. And so there's groups of people. I mean, anybody and everybody could use a coach, including me. And I have mentors. Mm -hmm. um, I have coaches <laughs> and I love them. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I probably have more than, you know, officially and unofficially have many different coaches and mentors and, and people that surround me and help me as I need it. Um, there's just, uh, such a great need for this because of the fact, like I said, once a person has left treatment, 
and they're on their own, the, the mind plays tricks. As you mentioned, it's a disease. It's a mental health illness, substance use disorder. And so we want to give people the best chances possible. It's not the treatment center's fault. I want to make that perfectly clear. Treatment centers, for the most part, um, they do such a wonderful, amazing job. People work so hard to help others. And then when that person has left, um, you know, they're, they're just hoping and praying that they're going to do okay and they'll be okay. Yeah, the people who I have met along the way in the recovery in, in treatment center, uh, uh, the, the industry of it, the work of it, um, mm -hmm. are usually people who themselves are in recovery, have been for a long time, and have dedicated their life to helping others professionally, and have gotten the education and all of that. And some of them are medical doctors, and there's a lot of science uh, still being um, explored there, but, you know, the problem is so overwhelming and it is a family illness as well. And I know that you probably run into that. I actually would like you to yeah. speak to that a little bit. Can you, sure. uh, I kind of know some things about that, but I'd like to get your take on when you're coaching an individual and the family, you know, the, I, I believe that when anyone in a family, no matter what the circumstances before the addiction, addictive pattern started, um, nobody comes out of an addictive situation unscathed. I think everyone, it's a combat sport, <laughs> trying to either get sober, yeah. clean and sober, or out of an addictive, destructive pattern, or mm -hmm. trying to live with somebody who has that problem or help somebody who has that problem. Nobody gets out unscathed. Um, What's your take on how, what, what can a family do around um, that? What's your, what's your suggestions around that? And how do you work with your clients and their interfacing and rebuilding trust and all those things that go along with the family? Well, again, a, a significant question, Elizabeth, because um, I'm going to answer starting this way. Rarely does someone call me and ask to be monitored and coached. It's rare. It happens, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. And when it, when it does happen, it's because someone that loves them suggested to call. But at least 90% of the calls that I field, first of all, are on Sunday or holidays. Those are my busiest days. And it's a family member. Yeah. Almost always family members call me. They're desperate. They don't know what to do they're hurting, they're angry, and they're done. They just have exhausted everything that they know how to do, which is generally very little, and it's not their fault. We don't usually know what to do. You know, nobody teaches us how to handle that. And so regardless of whatever their recovery IQ is, they will call me and say, help, I don't know what to do. And so what I recommend for them to do is, First of all, something that they usually don't expect to hear and many times don't want to hear, which is the disease takes hostages and that it's affected them to the point of where they need help also. Now, that's usually the second uh, topic. Once I address what's going on with your loved one, tell me and I ask a series of questions to gauge what's happening and to see where they're at because many times that individual isn't going to be a fit for what I'm doing. 
many times that person does need um, some kind of a behavioral health treatment facility um, or for an SUD. Um, and it's not, it's not until they're stabilized and detoxed and in a situation, usually post-treatment. Um, That's when- a really good distinction. And I, I want to make that distinction for the, the listeners is that what, there's an order to this. Um, and, and you correct me if I don't get this right, because you're, you're more of a professional. I'm, I'm just an artist. <laughs> I'm an artist who's lived the life here, <laughs> the life mm-hmm. of recovery. But there's detox, there's active addiction, and then there is a safe way to detox somebody from whatever they're on, and it's not cookie cutter. Somebody needs to professionally be involved with that because that can be uh, coming off of a a benzodiazepine versus an opioid versus an alcohol or a meth. Mm -hmm. Those are all very, very different effects going on in the body and they have different, different things can happen to people. So we want professionals involved in medical detoxing. Yes. Okay. Not much can happen until medical detox happens. Correct. And not it can be, you said it can be very dangerous. And with each one, it's different. It's not one size fits all. Right. And there's one them. Yeah. And they're yeah. not, sometimes it's people are addicted to more than one thing. Very common. Right. Right. And then that, the, you know, those facilities recognize and meet somebody where they're at once they've detoxed and then they get stabilized, whether they're really able to track and get into a group situation um, or many times they've been to treatment often and mm-hmm. do they really need more treatment or do they need to get back to aftercare once it's deemed that they're healthy enough to do that? So mm-hmm. when I get that call, if it's obvious to me after that series of questions, then um, I'll usually engage one of the interventionists that I work with or just call them and ask them if they can step in. And then I look to work with this individual either by advocating for them or working with them post-treatment. So the family is usually really unaware of the processes to actually guide somebody through to the healthy, a, a healthy place where they can actually thrive in recovery. So you're interfacing as much with the professional community as you are with the family itself. Is that, am I? That's correct. Okay. Very important. The other thing too, I want to just make a note of is sometimes this does come up probably more often than it used to, because I think we understand it more than we used to. And that is, there's a lot of co-occurring mental health disorders that go along with substance use disorder. Like it might be that somebody is diagnosed with some kind of a mental health issue that maybe they're self-medicating and those two things often can be put together. And that's something that's way beyond the pay grade of anybody who's just a volunteer showing up at, you know, a 12-step meeting. So we want to make sure we don't just tell somebody, oh, hey, just go here when they've got all this going on. I I really believe healthy people um, around recovery, helping others in recovery, know when they're in over their head and where somebody's at and know where Mm -hmm. to say, here's my resources. Let's get you to the people and the team of people takes Mm -hmm. a team of people. Usually it really does. And that is exactly what I do because I know when, like I said, if it's not a fit, if this person needs a different type of care, um, I have a great team of individuals that we collaborate together 
and I'm able to pass that on to that person um, so that the people that are calling me get the kind of help that they deserve and that they need. Yeah. So No shortage. There's no shortage of people who need help. There's a shortage of helpers sometimes. There's but, a shortage of helpers, but I think one of the biggest pieces of the whole pu the puzzle that is the most often missed is sometimes mm -hmm. we think we we, we want to get what we want, but we don't actually know what we need. And there, what the point of of really getting your message out there? One of the reasons I is I really wanted somebody like yourself who sits right in the nexus of that, that says nope, that and and other professionals who are working in this part where there really is kind of a traffic light going oh no we need some because people can come in and out and in and out that is a pro that is part of the process for some people that doesn't make them failure at it it might just be part of their process in fact I believe that when people go back out they needed to get something there and hopefully they live through it I don't know that I, you know, it hurts you when you know people are going back out. There's a lot of pain waiting for them. But you always are glad to see them come back. But you want to make sure people are getting the support they need. So, so when you're working back to the point where you're, here's the family, and here's the professional community, and here's the individual. Where, um, so take me from there. When you're, when you're working as a coach and in, in your career and you see other people doing that, you're interfering facing with what, with what different types of resources? Well, a lot of times, uh, especially going back to family, mm -hmm. most of the time I'm going to be recommending that they go to get their help for themselves, yes. their own help. And that includes um, family programs at different treatment centers. It includes um, therapists. It includes um, coaching them by sending them to Al-Anon, mm -hmm. making suggestions. And as I said, you know, there are a lot of people who are very receptive to it. And there's some who really just said to me, they didn't think I was listening because it wasn't their problem. It was someone else that needed the help. And so at that point, like I said, I'll usually just back up a little bit mm -hmm. and send them some resources and then follow up and ask if they've been able to go and get some help for themselves. Um, unfortunately, it, it, life seems to move at the speed of pain for many people. Mm -hmm. And they need to get to a certain place where they're willing to go and get that help. And that that's, includes families too. Um, I wish it was different. I really did do, but um, I, I have to meet them where they're at when they come to me. And many times it's just using those resources. There are some great family coaches that are out there as well. Mm -hmm who I get to work with and, and, and some really good therapists that specialize in yes. this as well. And I do, yes. I think that's one of my main messages is put your own life jacket on first. Um, it's so easy to yeah. focus on the other person. It's almost um, out of desperation. We're focused on the other person. We're trying to keep them alive in a lot of yeah. cases, um, especially when it's a parent child relationship, it feels very, yes. it's um, almost, um, what do you call it? Um, it, it's counterintuitive to not want to focus on saving that child and turning a child over to these professionals. And then somebody says, Hey, need to go work on yourself. And you're thinking, no, I'm going to make sure everything I've been keeping it. Okay. I just need a break, a little bit of a breather here. No, 
you're part of, you've become part of the problem, but you don't know it. And right. it's not that you caused the problem. You got a bullseye on your back and you don't know it <laughs> because they can deflect to you and you can deflect to them and nothing gets resolved. So that separation is so important. I love, the, really fact, is. love the fact you're talking about that. That is such a, a key piece. Well, you used a lot of the language I do. <laughs> I've been doing this for a while. I'm not a coach. I'm not a recovery coach, but I do a lot of uh, coaching for other stuff and helping other people as much as I can. But this is this is my thing. I like I like helping people in this way. So you know what I'm thinking? Yes. That? Oh, <laughs> that's a yet for you. <laughs> You're so funny. Uh, you use the life jacket. I use what commonly people speak about putting the oxygen mask on yourself first like they talk about when you're on an air, um, an airplane. And, and it's true because if you, if you're not taking care of yourself, can't really be there for other people, but, but it's, it's really uh, common to get fixated and it is counterintuitive. That's exactly what I always say, uh, especially with a parent and a child, mm -hmm. because, you know, mama bear comes out or papa bear comes out. You will do anything for that child to help them. But like I always tell them, if you stand in front of them and a train's coming, you're going to get it too. So there has to be other ways of, you know, pushing and pulling and yelling and <laughs> coaching and coaxing and trying to get that individual to see clearly that, that everybody really loves them and just wants to help them. So the language that I use most, uh, mostly with family is we will support the recovery. We're going to do anything we can to help you with the recovery. All right. Yes. The disease. The disease is itself, and we're not going to support that behavior. And that really helps a person to get out of the gray, what they think is gray, and get into black and white. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that, but what's the behavior like? And can you support them and also set and hold some really healthy boundaries for yourself and take that care of That line of responsibility, what's mine and what's not mine? And it's, that's a very, very hard thing to see when you're in the middle of that storm, especially when you've been so pulled into this other person, because no doubt about it, addiction breeds chaos, chaos mm -hmm. and problems and trauma. And it's such a difficult, because somebody's, somebody is intoxicated to the point where they're living in a different reality and it doesn't sync with the rest of the world. Right. <laughs> and so right. it's, out of sync with the rest of, and you're trying to live in two worlds and and I've been there that's why I know this and I had to work my way out of it so I've been in my own addiction and I've also been in relationships with people who've had addiction so yeah so you're one of my heroes here so who would benefit most from you said families people who um, are at that point where they've already gone through the detox they maybe have relapsed they maybe have just come out of a treatment center and they just need that gap. Is there anybody else that can really um, benefit from recovery coaching? Have you, or is that really the key place for that particular service? You know, the, it might sound like a bad answer when I say anybody would benefit. I sure would have. Mm -hmm. It would have been nice to have somebody help me to learn to get there. Um, there's just too many people that die from this disease. There's too many. And so looking at it from that aspect, I always feel like anybody and everybody could, could use a little extra help. However, I also want to say 
that the uh, populations that come to me, mm -hmm. because it's not a service that I market to a certain demographic like you would in other, in other industries or other fields, I wind up serving um, young adults, mm -hmm. licensed professionals, and chronic relapsers. And sometimes that's all three in one. Yeah. Sometimes it's all three in one, but young adults, licensed professionals and chronic relapsers, they seem to find me for different reasons, right? The chronic relapser, generally the family or they themselves are saying, this is what I haven't done yet. I'll try that. Mm -hmm. Right. Young adults, because parents, a lot of times they don't really know what to do and they're looking for, then they're used to coaching. Mm -hmm. They're used to finding different kinds of coaches, as you mentioned earlier, and licensed professionals because they um, generally are almost always connected to some type of a monitoring program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, already, I, I can totally see how that works. I know one of the key pieces um, as a parent that could be really helpful is so much of the time the parent that's really interfacing, especially when it's a young adult interfacing with somebody, you become the bad guy. You become the person who's doing the drug test. You become the person who's, where are you? You know, this kind of stuff. You become the bad guy. You, you, you're no longer the parent. You're like this other. So when you have an accountability coach, there's no emotional, all every, you know, over here when you were three, what happened to you? There's not all the enmeshed stuff. And as a coach, I could see how you could be way more effective at, oh, it is what it is, and let's deal with reality versus all the, oh, you've done this to me again, or personalizing the behavior of the child to the parent or the parent to the child. I, that separation alone, just in that parent-child relationship, I could see how much it would serve the situation. Like you said, I'm here to support the recovery. Anything that supports the recovery, I'm for. Anything that doesn't, I'm not behind it. So that makes perfect sense. I love the fact that you're that you bring up the chronic relapse um, and also the, the professional for two different reasons. <laughs> One, somebody said on a, I was on it. This was crazy. I couldn't believe that this came up, and I had to I had to call it out. Somebody said something on a. Um, I was in a um, business meeting for a, it's a. I serve on an advocacy board for for a recovery, uh, or not an organization, but a municipality. And somebody brought up a, um, something about, oh, well, you know, an addict, a recovered addict could probably do that job. They don't, they don't need to make a bunch of money. And I thought, I said, oh, wait, I need to say something. <laughs> I said, there's a lot of high earners, <laughs> a lot of high earners in recovery. A lot of people don't know that. It's very stigmatized um, bias that people think is true. And it's a lot of people who have a lot of pressure in their life. Alcoholism has nothing to do, alcohol and drug addiction. Addiction is a behavioral health illness and has very little to do with people's talents and skill sets. And there's many accomplished people who, who are accomplished and skilled before they have the problem, after they have the problem and while they have the problem. So it's got very little to do with that. Right. What's been your experience about working with that, that group of people? Well, before I get there, I wanted to mention that, you know, I'm not what you said a minute ago. I, I'm not their parent. Yeah. And so I'm not emotionally mm -hmm. invested. Um, I care 
Um, I'm very careful and I'm professionally trained not to get more invested, to care about them, but also to do it on a professional level. And I so that, I think that is so important. I, I think that, oh, yeah. that's important. It neutralizes it. It allows the person to take responsibility back to where it belongs. Sure. And yeah. I'll explain to each one of my clients up front that I am not your parent. I'm not your child. Um, I, I'm not somebody who's in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I'm not the authority figure. I am actually an employee. And so warning them to be careful to not put me into a place um, in their mind where, uh, where I don't belong. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm someone who's there to cheerlead for them, to um, be in their corner, to help pick them up when they fall. Um, certainly during an emergency, knowing, you know, uh, I call it a fire drill or a 911 plan, where to go and, ha- and how to handle that. Mm-hmm. And so I want them to know that from the beginning, because uh, as I said earlier, also, Elizabeth, there's, um, if somebody's willing and they're, they're uh, interested and they, um, their feet are in the right place, mm-hmm. right? If they're taking action, then generally we're going to do really well because they're not going to fight me. They're not going to think I'm nagging. They're going to, mm-hmm. you know, coaching. It's coaching. It doesn't matter what you coach. It's always going to be the, that way. So when they look and know that I support them, I care for them, um, there's love for them, I want them to do well. And it reflects on me too, of course, but it, there's nothing that's more exciting for me. Yes, it's important to keep the lights on of course, but more important than that is watching somebody be successful because I know once they're successful, I've not only done a good job, but they're going to affect hundreds, maybe even thousands of people because they're doing well. Because the ripple effect, yeah. yeah. The ripple effect of, of a recovered life is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. I only have a few more minutes with you, but I okay. want to make sure. Yeah. Um, so substance use disorder is a highly stigmatized chronic illness. What would you like the public to know about substance use disorder and recovery, the general public? What would you like them to know? I think we've covered it a few times and I'm going to say it again. I don't care how redundant it is. It's something I talk about every single day. There is an explanation, not an excuse for certain kinds of behavior but this is a mental illness. Substance use disorder is a mental illness. The good news is that even though it's chronic, so an individual has it forever and it's progressive, it will always get worse. Even when someone's in recovery, it gets stronger, I should say. But if it's left untreated, it's fatal. Okay, that's on one side of it. Now, if you go to a doctor and they say, you know, Mr. Mallow, you have a chronic progressive and fatal illness, but here's good news. Here's, here's an aftercare plan. You know, we want you to, and this is of course the 12 step one there, there are other things that people can do and I've worked with them. There's other smart recovery and et cetera. Um, But if they said to you, we want you to go to meetings and connect with people who are like you. So you have community. Um, We would like you to do some service work or some volunteer work to help boost your self-esteem and to give you purpose. And um, we want you to find mentors who've done this before you and they're gonna help you to learn how to do this. 
stay connected. And then we want you to stay spiritually fit, which we could cover in a whole hour. So I won't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Big part. We want you to stay in fit spiritual condition. So you're taking care of yourself and you will find joy in your life. Um, So now which one do I really want? Right. Mm -hmm. And if that, if that is, um, not the best, um, strongest incentive and, and the thing that I want most uh, out of recovery for myself and other people, I don't know what is. I want people to know that there's help. You know, there is help. You have to ask for it, but it's out there. Uh, stigma, yes, there's a stigma. But if you really listen to what I just said, that's not important. What's important is getting help for someone. That's what's important. People can and do recover. And this is what it looks like. Yeah. Live happy and productive lives. And I can tell from my experience with you, David, that um, you are, I I suspect, I'm going to do a mind read here. I suspect that you (laughs) look at your um, uh, substance use disorder as probably the biggest gift that you've ever had in your life when you found recovery, because that's how I hold it. I say, look at what I have because of that. I, they say the bone is the strongest place on a bone is where it was broken and mended. Oh, I like that's that. the way I look at my recovery. I'm so much stronger. I'm so much more compassionate. And I see that in you. And I think that's what attracted me to want to, um, to interview you. And Thank you, Elizabeth. Real quickly, I want to tell you, I had coffee with a mentor this yeah. morning. Uh-huh. A man I look up to. I absolutely love this guy. Mm-hmm. Total, um, total man crush, bromance. I love this man. <laughs> He has 43 years of recovery and he's so strong and wonderful. We sat down to have coffee and he said, by the way, happy belated birthday. I know you just celebrated 16. He has 43 years, right? And I said, you know what, Mike, life is so good and I'm healthy and happy and my relationships are great. I just never knew life. I could find so much joy. And you know what he said to me? Oh, don't worry. It gets better, David. Uh huh. It gets better. It definitely does. It absolutely does. And it gets better than I think it would have been if I never had this to begin with, because I never take it for granted. One day at a time, I don't take it for granted. I literally don't take it for granted. And that's one thing that we really learn. So I want to thank you so much for joining me. How can people find you? Tell me about how, uh, let everybody know how they can find you if they would like to talk to you or find out more about your services. Sure. Best way to find me, you can go online to Coach David Mallow. It's www.coachdavidmallow.com. There's one L in Mallow. Or you can reach me on my phone, which is 760-396-8369. My phone's always on. If I can help you, I'll do the best that I can to do that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Elizabeth. What a pleasure. Yeah, totally a pleasure. And I really appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah, when you're ready to be a coach, call me. I would love to work. I do group coaching for uh, for people, but it's not recovery coaching. But this is kind of my recovery coaching. So (laughs) thank you. This is my way of doing recovery coaching. You're awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. 